0: Welcome to The Daily Horror Habit, the horror movie review podcast for horror fans and fanatics alike. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, delivering horror movie reviews and discussions of both classic and current films every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for your twisted pleasure. Please be aware that episodes may include spoilers, and as always, I hope you enjoy. For today's episode of Daily Horror Habit, I'm joined by returning friend of the show Bernie to continue our Saw series review with a discussion on the 6th and far from final entry in the franchise, Saw 6. Director and film editor Kevin Greuter made his feature film directorial debut with Saw 6 after serving as editor for Saw 1-5 through and the later 8th installment, Jigsaw. With Saw 6, we see a continuation of Jigsaw's from Beyond the Grave games as his protege Hoffman is still experiencing a sadistic high after creating a Strom sandwich in the previous film. Though with the FBI closing in on Jigsaw's protégé's identity, Detective Hoffman puts Jigsaw's latest game into motion, one that strikes at the core of Jigsaw's true methodology. So without further ado, here's our conversation on Saw 6. Bernie,
1: welcome back to the show, man. I appreciate it. Can we uh, can we get a quick shout out to uh, the director, Kevin Greutert? I heard you say that this was his inaugural uh, directorial yeah. debut. For it being in a sixth entry in a horror franchise, I imagine most of the time, if that's the case, it's not necessarily nearly as good as what Kevin produced. Um, so he, I, hats off to him for that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's no mistake, right, that we've seen people that have been frequent collaborators within the Saw universe being upgraded to director in a lot of ways, right? I mean, he's the editor. I believe uh, Darren Lynn Boseman we had learned was Involved in either being second unit director or he was involved in the production design for a couple of the other films. Right. And so for this franchise to keep having directors that have been intrinsically tied to past films, whether or not they've had directing experience before, at the same time, they're familiar with the series. And that's something really special, I think. And I don't think that that's necessarily something that all horror franchises have had the luxury of having. Right. I think. Mm -hmm considering the short span of time in between each of these entries, the fact that we're getting directors now that have had experience working within that universe is probably mm-hmm. a pretty rare thing. And for me at yep. least, like we were talking before the show, so far, again, keyword, so far, um, there have definitely been entries that I have not liked. Like four and five I think have been the weakest so far. Mm-hmm. But by no means were they as atrocious as I had heard they were going to be. or just sort of like what I'd heard through the grapevine from certain people. They were telling me, they were trying to prepare me for something that was very underwhelming. And while four and five, I don't think are necessarily good saw films, they're still perfectly watchable. And they still, they always have that saw glimmer in their eye in a way, like that sort of, that brutality, that nastiness. That at moments, like there's definitely moments in those films that pop in a way that maybe outdo the first three films, but overall, they are definitely the weaker films. So, I don't think it's a surprise that once again, we have a director that has had lots of experience in this universe and he made a sequel that I am surprised about how much I enjoyed this film.
1: Mm -hmm. No, I, I would agree with you. I mean, I think that there's, again, there's certain aspects of this movie. Um, the, the plot points or plot holes rather, um, as it pertains to like the previous three films, you start to see, you know a, a little bit of a breakdown and we've mentioned this previously of like the actual timeline of the story half this shit doesn't make sense anymore <laughs> but you know again to your point the fact that there's the people that are helming each of these these movies that there's a lineage of them working together and working on the story, it definitely shows that it's not as fragmented as I think some other franchises. As you delve deeper and deeper into those films, um, as they get as as Saw does. So again, you know, hats off to these guys and um, the the actual staff behind behind this. I think they did a phenomenal job of at least continuing the story of Jigsaw.
0: Yeah, it really helps when you have somebody that is sitting in that director's chair for the first time and yet they at least know the vernacular. It's almost like they have a cheat sheet going into the movie because I mean, who knows these movies better than the editor more so than the director, probably even like to a certain degree, you have to think, well, if they're constructing all of these different scenes and moments together into something that is both watchable and not fragmented to the point of complete lunacy, even if the timeline gets played around with the films for the most part, all mesh together in a way that you can at least see how they get from A to B. And I think that that is really key with the Saw 6 and where we have a director that's never directed before, but he knows what a Saw film looks like. He knows how it's supposed to hit certain beats. And I think that that sort of like freshman status in a lot of ways actually helps because it makes this for me feel like one of the fresher Saw movies. And I mean, again, we're six films into a, now what are we at, nine movie series. That's a pretty remarkable thing, I think, for a horror film. And that might sound like hyperbole, but I mean, how many horror franchises have more than five entries? Can you say, yeah, the sixth movie is actually pretty enjoyable? Um, And I'm kind of curious just to hear how you found the sixth film overall. How did you find it? How do you think it stacks up against the other movies in the series? And do you think it kind of lives up to the Saw name?
1: I think that Tobin Bell leaves a very large footprint that needs to be uh, or sort of mantle that needs to be carried on with. I think Kostas Mandalore does as good of a job as anyone of doing that, uh, at least that I can think of. Um, He really does have a very ominous kind of I don't know tone about himself like just everything about him the way that he talks the way that he looks like he just looks like kind of a weird guy um n- he'd be at the top yet. of my suspect list i think <laughs> right and like i i enjoyed the de- I, you know again we kind of uh, quibbled in the past about some of the detective work that we've seen go on in these movies you start to see like some actual normal detective work come along here and as the movie progresses you see slowly but surely it looks like the the light is starting to shine brighter and brighter on him in terms of being a suspect i really enjoyed that aspect of it for sure um so i mean uh, you know i think you couldn't ask for more of like again uh a lineage breakdown of how Jigsaw, the Jigsaw story has progressed to this point, and now you're seeing an out-and-out out cop. You know, as we progress into this movie, he kills other detectives um, openly, not through games in that sense, right? Um, it, it, I don't know. To me, I just I really enjoyed that aspect of it. The games themselves, uh, the the Jigsaw maze, so to speak, that he puts his victims through. Um, I enjoy the the ending where you actually find out what is going on. Right. Um, but for the most part, it's not, you know, it's nothing necessarily crazily new that we haven't seen through the first six movies necessarily. Is that, is that kind of safe to say on your end as well?
0: Interesting. No, I kind of felt the opposite. I felt that from a trap standpoint, this was a new kind of like, again, fresh breath of brutality in a lot of ways. I thought that The traps were much more creative, but also, and this is an element of the film that I think is really strong in that it's tied into the morality that's tied into the narrative in a way that I feel like has not been prevalent in the last few sequels. I think that this film does a really good job of presenting an overall uh, morality. Obviously they all have kind of dealt with that to varying degrees, but it felt like the morality element was fragmented between each of the traps like it changes throughout whereas with this the story really centers around this health insurance agent uh William who's played by Peter Outerbridge and it's all based on like him being this scumbag health insurance agent who basically has created a formula where statistically he ends up voiding people's health insurance where based on like the probability of them living kind of thing and so Jigsaw, of course, is morally outraged at this because, oh, well, what about the human spirit's will to live or something like that? And so he takes outrage at that and that kind of goes against Jigsaw's philosophy with this new kind of like fucked up uh, serial killer mentor, mentoree program that he's uh, developed over the course of the films. But um, I think ultimately, this film does a really good job of tying in that central morality into each of the traps. And it feels like I guess uh, Saw 4, I believe, did something similar when we had the uh, detective rig, right? It was everybody that was involved in the traps, more or less, was related to some people that he was investigating because he was a cop. But in this, it just, it feels more personal. It feels like, well, these are people that William knows. There's some of them are his co-workers. Some of them are past clients. Um, and I think that that element really ties into the narrative in a way where it just feels more connected and personable. And it seems like there's more of a growth on that character's part. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not that like with, uh, Saw 5, I believe when we're jumping through all the different rooms and then we kind of have Hoffman's story, um, Mm -hmm. that felt a lot more disjointed just because we're jumping between two narratives and then it's not exactly clear whether these narratives have anything to really do with one another. Whereas Mm -hmm. in Saw 6, it feels like the games, and there's the reason why it feels this way, is because they are intrinsically tied to the morality narrative that they've kind of fabricated for this. Um, and it, I think that it's just overall stronger. Again, I don't necessarily know that it does anything better than maybe the first two films, we'll say, or I'd rather Saw 2 and Saw 3, but I think that for a sixth entry in a film, this is an narrative that is much more engaging than the
1: two that came before it maybe didn't articulate that that well the actual traps themselves in my opinion weren't as strong I guess strong as they have been in previous ones or there wasn't in my opinion much of a, a there wasn't anything that stood out too much. I guess the story behind why people are in them to that effect, what you said, I, I would agree with you. That's a little bit stronger than, again, the, the a little bit disjointedness that we saw in Saw 5, for instance, like you said, right? Um, one thing though, and I guess now that you say that, it does uh, broach an interesting question. Cause you know, as they were, for instance, um, when Williams in he like walks into a room basically where he has six of his uh, I forget what he called those like the team he had, but basically it's like a group of young folks that are trying to figure out uh, like any reason to deny coverage. Yeah. Do you
0: remember what? Yeah. So they they were his basically like underlings at the insurance company that they basically were scanning and running people's files through this formula that he uh, came up with that essentially will based on probability and things that They would either deny their coverage or accept their coverage and so basically they the six underlings spend all day basically finding people to deny coverage for um so then yeah i mean that ties into again like the overall morality right and i think that that's what makes the traps more significant in this film and i i also think like they're pretty gruesome too considering what was in four and five but i really enjoy the fact that he is being forced to choose and he has a connection to everybody he's choosing between and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't necessarily remember it, And this is because four and five kind of just like blend together as being the same movie for me. I don't necessarily mm-hmm. remember instances where people had to choose between people that they were familiar with and maybe in, more intimately than if it was like in soft four, where it's like Riggs has to decide whether or not he's going to help suspects who at the end of the day, like they're pieces of shit, right? One of them's, a rapist one of them's a murderer I think and so with this it's this normal guy who he yeah, has a piece of shit but at the end of the day he has to choose between people that he knows and has a relationship with and right I guess I guess there's the argument then like the morality of what he's doing like he's choosing who lives and dies which is wrong based on the way that he does it. But at the same time, like you can't compare him to the people from saw four. Cause he's not a murderer, like a, a literal murderer. He's not going out and right. killing people at random, things like that.
1: I guess. Yeah. Cause in Saw three, Jeff was deciding if he wanted to save people that had caused inadvertently or advertently, um, like his son's death right uh whereas this one he's deciding who i i guess to your point right to say you've yeah you've convinced me at least that this is a better movie than i thought uh when we started this <laughs> conversation we'll see how much further we can get to that it you know, I took 15 uh, minutes yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah so i mean you know as we kind of go through the storyline i mean was there any I guess, was there any one uh, trap or death that particularly kind of took you aback or um, really stood out to you from watching this?
0: I think the film actually starts very strong, I think, in terms of that first (laughs) trap, right? And the whole morality behind that is, it's two people that have this like screw device on their head and they've got 60 seconds. Whoever basically removes more flesh from their body and puts it into this scale that's dividing Mm -hmm. the room, uh, Will be able to live, or it turns the screws the other person's helmet faster. Um, so mm-hmm. you have these two people that are like competing against one another to see who can sever more flesh from their own body. Um, and the mm-hmm. morality of that being is that basically they're in like symbolic shackles um, because they were giving out loans, I suppose, to people that had no chance of paying them. So then they would go into repossession and these things. And so Jigsaw's targeting again, like predators, right? They're people that are preying upon other people. And I find that scene. Super disturbing because of not only the gore, but also just how vehemently these two people that used to be partners in something turn on one another and start competing against one another, saying, fuck you, I'm going to ensure that you're the one that dies first. And we've definitely seen that in other traps, right? People competing against one another, especially in Saw 5, right? There's people that are competing against one another in every single room. They're trying to kill one before the other. But... I just found it to be far more disturbing because it's up to one and en- it's e- it's up to each of the victims how much flesh they want to remove, right? It's the one guy is like cutting slabs of his stomach off, and then the one woman is looking at her arm and she's deciding like at what part of her section of her arm she's going to cut off, and it was just completely fucked to see how she marked like way too low before she started at the wrist, then she moved to the forearm, then she moves up to like the elbow. And just seeing her, it going through her head, like to catch up to the other guy, how much she has to remove. And then she also like uses a, a hunting knife when there's like a butcher's knife right next to her. And it's just like so painfully agonizing to watch her like use this little knife. And then she's like, Oh shit, I've got a butcher's knife. I could use that. Like it there's levels to a scene that on paper might not necessarily seem like it's a standout from the other traps and other films. But in this, I just found it to be such a disturbing and graphic opening for a film that it really kind of sets the tone for the movie in a way that it it didn't make me anticipate the the such a strong like morality that they're going to tackle in this one, given how the morality I feel like was very sort of just elementary in uh, the previous two films. So that definitely set the uh, the tone in a really positive way that kind of surprised me.
1: i i definitely agree with you and you know another thing that you just mentioned this movie was made in 2009 um and you kind of echo that there are certain themes of this movie that play out one being against like the predatory loan uh loan industry also the health insurance industry both kind of screwed people over in 2008 2009 crisis right to a certain extent um, I remember we talked about scream. I forget which particular one it was, but it was kind of similar. There were certain overtones of violence that couldn't couldn't be portrayed because of the the time in which it was being shot at. It really is interesting how and you know not to say that um, we haven't seen uh, you know, we haven't seen moments in which Jigsaw is very evidently hating the the insurance industry previously, but it is interesting how like the narrative of what's going on in the world plays itself into certain horror movies and that kind of echoes throughout the storylines. Um, that, that was just a small note that uh, I kind of picked up when we were talking about that.
0: Absolutely, yeah, I mean, that's some of my favorite horror. When you go back and you watch older horror movies, The best ones are the ones that are in some way, not saying that they literally have to have their premise or plot tackle those topics, but they reference events that happened in the uh, era that they were shot and filmed and released in. I mean, being reflective of the times, I think is an overlooked part of not only horror, but of just movies in general. Right. I think that it's incredibly important because then you get films like this, which I think tackle current events. And these, those are both Uh, two real-world issues that we're even dealing with today in 2021, right? So they're still pretty relevant issues. And the fact that they were able to so heavily tie into that, it really gives this movie a narrative jolt that I don't think it's had since 3 in a lot of ways. And it's, again, an element of this film I was not expecting, right? Again, this is why you should always leave your preconceived notions at the door, this idea Well, I was listening to other people's opinions and just kind of a general sense of what I was seeing online. And they were like, well, these get pretty unwatchable pretty quickly. And this, if anything, I think is probably the strongest entry since saw three, uh, in a lot of ways, like this is probably one of my favorite ones, just because of how it still abides by that kind of formulaic note, but it tackles that formula in a way that feels more interesting. It feels more thoughtful. In a lot of ways, a narrative element that I really was surprised that I was actually kind of engaged in was the second subplot, which is basically like the walls closing in on Hoffman. Right, mm-hmm. the FBI now is about to discover who Jigsaw's accomplices, and that has payoff just because it's been building for two films before this. Right, I don't necessarily think that four and five told a narrative with Hoffman that on their own was all that interesting, or anybody outside of like the Saw fans would give a shit. But for Saw fans and even just people that have been tuning in, cause it's like, yeah, these are annualized. How can I miss one of these? They come out every year in this time frame when they were all released. I still found that there was a certain payoff with Hoffman's character in that it's like, now we want to see this guy be brought down, right? We almost become sort of, he becomes the true antagonist and his enjoyment of all the killing, it almost makes him seem more evil than Jigsaw in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. How did you find yeah. Hoffman's overall sort of like arc and how the walls are finally closing in on this guy?
1: I mean, I think it uh, it's a little bit poetic that he killed uh, Strom by literally, you know, clo- having the walls closed in <laughs> yeah. on him. And basically the, the genesis for them really, for whatever reason, not even thinking that, like, the death of uh, that drug dealer who killed his or the murderer who killed Baxter. his sister, yeah, uh, Sean Baxter, how he somehow wasn't related potentially to that death. <laughs> yeah. Throw, throwing that out of the way. The reason that they were on to him is because Strom's hand, they realized uh, i forget what the chemical component or whatever it was but it was the hand was essentially the fingerprint was dead or the hand was rotting in some way they figured that out um and it's because he pulled that off afterwards and then subsequently placed it uh you know placed the evidence that way i enjoyed that aspect of it i also really really enjoyed um more so than i thought i would honestly um or remember uh remember thinking this way but the female detective that comes back i think it was detective perez if i'm not mistaken Mm -hmm. right um you see that in theory she dies in the fifth movie but they only acknowledge it in one brief scene which as we learn in saw four uh or maybe early saw five or late saw four uh, when one of the police officers gets hit by a bow and arrow, and literally like sh- they die, and doesn't even like really like acknowledge that that happened, right? I wasn't necessarily too shocked that they didn't give her like character much of a send off since she wasn't really valuable. However, when I when you see that she's actually alive and she's working with the original detective, I believe it was Detective Erickson. Um, now you start to understand, okay, well, what the hell was the reasoning for them keeping it away from Hoffman? They obviously right. elaborate on it, but that component to it kept a very, like, very cool tension throughout the movie every time you see Hoffman's character. Because innately, you always see, like, a ticking time clock of, like, are they actually going to figure this out? And, again, when you get deeper into the movie, are the, is his voice going to be able to be uh, decoded, so to speak from, um, jigsaws. Uh, so I, I just enjoyed that aspect that it, the tables had kind of turned. It's not always just on the victims anymore. That tension is now growing on the, the main evil character essentially in this.
0: Yeah. And I think that that I love this, uh, angle that they take with his character and how the walls close in. Right. Because basically we see in periodic flashbacks with like Amanda and jigsaw and Hoffman, We see that he has a big head about him, right? And he always keeps saying things to the effect of like, I don't need my own game. I don't need to be tried or challenged or anything. I've got this. I'm going to be the next Jigsaw. And I really like that the film basically addresses the fact that it's unrealistic that the police would not pick up on the fact that there's a Jigsaw accomplice, but also the idea that a forensic investigator would not be able to distinguish the work of two completely separate people, right? And right. that's what they do. Like they pull off the the uh, discovery that, well, the person that's been cutting jigsaw pieces out of people has used a different instrument or he's been using a different technique, which is just like the steadiness of one's hand.
1: And yeah, the straighted knife and uh, the scalpel, I think. It was, yeah,
0: which I thought was hilarious because like Detective Hoffman is now supposed to be this esteemed detective. And he's like, you can tell the difference between two different types of knives. And was like, what is <laughs> it like? How have you gotten through the ranks? And you don't know that. But I think that that's one of those things that, again, I don't know how much anybody that hasn't been super invested in the Saw movies is going to care about any of these things, but it felt like a very self-aware narrative uh, twist for them to take, or rather just avenue for them to take that addresses the reality that, yeah, of course Hoffman's going to get found out at some point. Granted, we don't know how he's going to react to being found out, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But it's more about the fact that the film at least starts to realize that, yeah, there's some pretty ridiculous elements to this. And I liked how they actually took that ridiculousness, they addressed it, and then they made it play out in a way that actually works for this type of story. You know, they kind of address the ridiculousness of it, and it's made viable rather than, and to a certain extent, it's kind of like laughing at itself, I think, because you have that crazy line where he's just like, you can tell the difference between that? And it's one of those things where it's like, now it feels like the director is laughing with the audience and we're laughing with them rather than at them um granted that doesn't stop the movie from having plenty of ridiculous moments and plenty of bad dialogue uh bits but at the same time it just feels more self-aware and i think when you're the sixth film in a franchise you have to be self-aware even if it doesn't necessarily work every time you still can't present as if this is the first instance or this like ludicrous logic is going to continue for the entire course of the film in terms of like where Hoffman's, uh, where the walls close in on him, right? We kind of have that big reveal where they decode one of the jigsaw tapes and they find out the FBI director and Perez find out, Oh, for certain that's him. And then he kind of has like that John Wick moment, right? Where he, uh, uses Perez as a human shield or he uses somebody as a human shield and then he stabs both of them to death. And then he lights their bodies on fire and flees like that is a ridiculous moment like that entire sequence of events and the fact that he still frames Strom for that and he still keeps the evidence pointing towards Strom like that was such a ludicrous follow up to a moment that was so self-aware that then they give this like bloated 40 something year old guy this John Wick moment which is just like completely ridiculous but For this film to carry on that sort of like ridiculousness, I I felt it kind of worked.
1: I mean, I would agree with you. I think, again, it's it's interesting how one of the tensest scenes, in my opinion, in the Saw franchise wasn't about somebody trying to escape uh, like his you know, one of his mazes or anything like that. It's literally three detectives and, um, uh, what is it? MD or I've my, uh, law and order SV <laughs> terminal failing me here. Um, uh, but, but, uh, uh, who the, the more, the Jewish, tech, whoever the, the tech, there we go. There we go. Um, yeah, that whole scene was, it, it had its very good moments. And also to your point, like the John wick moment was a little crazy. <laughs> I, I, I'm forgetting, it's on the tip of my tongue. What was basically it decoded his voice right as he was saying something like, I know you have a lot to fear, or something like that. And then he sliced Detective Erickson's neck. I just thought that on its own was pretty fucking badass, to be <laughs> honest. Like that, just that sequence of itself. Because again, you knew basically as detective erickson was kind of circling behind uh hoffman they they had their they they knew he was their guy basically um how again how he got out of that situation (laughs) unscathed to an extent separate point um but no yeah i i love that whole scene to itself i will also say detective perez um i thought after you know a per a person comes back to life like that Mm -hmm. maybe she would have a little bit more of a prominent role (laughs) right
0: yeah they kind of did her dirty right they brought her back just to kill her off again quote like quote unquote again but yeah i don't know it's i have such a problem with the way they treat some characters in the series which is a hilarious thing to say now that i think about it in terms of like a movie about torture and murder but I would like to see more recurring characters that aren't brought back just to kill off. And granted, we're getting to the end of the series now. I think we've got, what, three more of these to uh, discuss. But I would like more recurring characters because, hey, who's to say? Again, I haven't seen Saw 3D and I don't remember anything about Jigsaw. Perez at least has a storied history, much like we've been finding with people that sit into the director's chair for the first time in these movies. They have a history with Saw. They are somewhat related to it. And no matter how strong or fleshed out that relationship might be, there's something there, though. They at least feel like they belong in this world in a way that who's to say she couldn't have been the basis for the next Saw film or the next sequel or whatever. Um, So I thought that that was kind of disappointing. If they were going to have Hoffman have this John Wick moment and knife a bunch of people, maybe it could have been somebody that hasn't already gone through the ringer uh, in a way that whether she was a fleshed out character or not or would say what you want about her performance, at the end of the day, she could have been the next protagonist of a Saw movie. And that would have been a cool buy-in, right? It's just the little things. When you're making nine movies in a sequel or it's nine sequels or whatever, it would be cool to have some sort of familiarity with who we're getting into in terms of like them being the new protagonist. But I digress. Um, but let's take it back to like the traps, because I really think that William And his arc of basically finding his own morality or correcting the wrongs that he's done his entire career seemingly i think the traps really expose that and they play off that really well and just the creativity of the brutality behind them right that first trap that he finds himself in and i mean each of the traps that he goes through he's rewarded with a key if he unlocks um these like explosive devices he's got one on each wrist one on each ankle each test that he has gives him a key to unlock one and then ultimately if he doesn't finish in an hour he basically won't see his family again and we don't know what that means other than like the threat of he doesn't get to see his family we don't know if his family's being threatened we don't know if he's being threatened but that first trap that he finds himself in i find a the way that it is shot is really cool i think the fact that him and the janitor from his company are both Uh, being suspended by chains, they have this breathing apparatus mask on them, and they learn basically that every breath they take, these sort of uh, pincers on either side of their waists, every breath they take, it moves closer and closer. So basically, it's almost like your body ends up betraying you because the closer the pincers get, the more you're gonna hyperventilate, right? And the more they're gonna speed shut. And it would have been one thing just to leave it at that, right? See who can breathe the least amount, hold your breath. But I love that the morality plays into it, that the person that he's competing against is the janitor from his company. And he's told, Oh, the janitor of his company has a history of like high blood pressure, heart disease or something. And yet he chooses to smoke. So he's a smoker. So by Williams own formula that he is created, he should deny this guy coverage essentially. So it kind of speaks to the morality like, well, If this guy has decided to take his life for granted with smoking when he knows it's bad for him and he's at a propensity for uh, heart disease and things like that, does he deserve to live? And I think that it's really interesting because it's the first trap where neither one has control over the other situation. They only have control over themselves. So William has to decide, is he gonna hold his breath when he knows the guy across from him can't hold his breath as well because he's got smoker lungs? Whereas the film opens with these two people that have each other's fate in their own hands, essentially. Oh, well, I'm going to cut off more digits or limbs so that way you die. Whereas these two, they're only in control of their own bodily functions.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it, I think, one, seeing it actually play out, you yourself, again, like I think everybody does when they watch horror movies, you put yourself into that perspective of what it's like, A, being that guy that's in that smoker's body and you're trying not to hyperventilate, but also be being in Williams position and having that choice of, do you just have it go by quickly? Or is there a way that you can somehow make a decision to save both of you in this case? Right. And that's all going through and whatever, the 60 seconds that, that uh, game goes on for. Um, I thought again, just the sound of his like insides getting crushed by that and seeing Williams response to it. Yeah. William's a piece of shit, but he's still a human being to some extent. So I don't know. I thought that was, it it was, it was very interesting seeing him go through that dichotomy.
0: Yeah. And I really like that. This feels like something we haven't seen in any other Saw movies. I think with four and five, there's definitely glimmers of other traps that we saw in one through three. Kind of like repackaged, repurposed in a way where you could say, well, they're not carbon copies, but at the same time, there's definitely familiar elements to some of the games that we've seen. And this felt genuinely fresh and new, whereas I don't know that anything in four or five was nearly as creative as this or nearly as just disturbing in general. Um, And whether that be narratively speaking or just from a graphic uh, standpoint, right, the idea that they're going to get crushed to death and the only thing that can save them is their ability to hold their breath. It's one of those mm-hmm. things that I think kind of just shows that you need uh, fresh blood essentially to come in and be at the helm of these things. If anything, I mean not to take shots at like Darren Lynn Boseman, but at the same time, I would much rather see a new director come in every single time that yeah. is able to bring something new and original. But at the same time though, I don't know if you can do that with a franchise like this, if they have not been tied to each of the films in a certain way or at least a couple of the films, right? Um, so that's one thing. But I think also even in the follow-up trap, which is like the walk the plank one, right? Two of his coworkers ha- are on a ledge basically, and they've got these barbed wire nooses on and every sing- and uh, William has to hold the chains basically, which keep them af- uh, keep them upright. And then he has right. to choose between, oh, this older woman who has a family who will miss her or this young guy who has no family and if he dies, nobody will care. It's one of those things where it's again, it's a simple trap in the long run, but it plays off of the morality of the film in a way that it really kind of like uplifts a relatively tame trap by being given that moral significance and it ties into the topic that the film's tackling. So I think that again, like I've talked a lot about how the morality of this film I think stands out more than the other ones. But when you have that strong narrative drive, it just kind of lifts up the elements of the film that otherwise might be kind of like forgettable.
1: Yeah, no, I I would agree. And again, you see that not only is his logic faulty uh, to the extent of like how he's denying coverage or granting coverage for folks in his uh, uh, insurance company, but also now you're seeing, you know he's making, like you said, the decision to save the elderly woman rather than the the young kid who has a lot more life to live and he's healthier. Um, in the following sequence, or in the following sequence when we see him with uh, his six cohorts, he doesn't actually necessarily choose the people that may be the healthiest or maybe the strongest. It's preference and also, I mean, you know we'll get to that point, but um, yeah, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of mental gymnastics that he takes to get to his decisions. Um, and it again, puts it into a perspective of, yeah, it's not just an asshole C, C-suite guy that just is about you know making money and traveling on yachts. Like he does have some very minor semblance of like a conscience, conscience rather. Um, and it gets applied throughout. And again, it exposes not just his own hypocrisy, but the game in itself of, like, what is going on and, and the, the morality behind it, to your point. It is very interesting, though, again, when we see the ending of this, we'll obviously get to that. Um, but I, I do enjoy the fact that through most of these movies, not everything really is as it seems. So when you think you have a full understanding of what's going on, there is some small minor element, whether it's a completely ridiculous plot hole that they're trying to fill or it's an actual narrative structure that they're creating. Um, but I, I do enjoy that aspect of like, there's always a little asterisk to what you're watching of like, is this real or is this actually the goal of what you're seeing essentially?
0: Yeah. And I think that that trap that you mentioned where it's, you know, I actually, I literally had to look up what that playground structure is called I guess it's called like a spinner or mm-hmm. it's like a merry-go-round kind of without the horses, right? It's this idea, it's that thing that spins around, you see them on kids' playgrounds or whatever, but this trap, I really like that this is sort of one of the last major traps in that it has those six people that work beneath William and mm-hmm. they're strapped to it and the, merry, and the spinner will stop periodically. And if William doesn't basically skewer his own hand, then a shotgun will go off and blow a hole through the person. And he can only save two people out of the six. But if he does nothing, everybody dies. So it right. then it l- quite literally puts their lives in his hands, right? This And the idea that if he wants two people to survive, he will quite literally have blood on his hands because each time he saves somebody, his hand gets skewered by uh, getting spiked or something. But right. I really liked that one just because, again, it takes a very simple concept, but it forces him to live through a much heightened and much more disturbing process uh, Perception of what he puts other people through. And again, coming back to that morality, it drives home the fact that, like, yeah, he hasn't been shooting people or kidnapping people and putting them through these fucked up games, but he has literally had people's hands in his lives. And he has, based on this arbitrary formula or whatever, has decided, well, their life is not as valuable as potentially somebody else's. And so forcing him, like, that was what made this one probably one of the more disturbing ones even if it is not necessarily the most graphics heavy one, obviously you have to see all these people get shot, but I mean, like you're not seeing limbs get ripped off or the sort of egregious nature of a lot of these traps. Um, I think it's more so, especially once he chooses the two people that to survive, which are the two female coworkers, he still has two more coworkers on that spinner and he has to listen to them scream. And uh, cause their fates are sealed at that point. And right. that is a much more disturbing moment than I think, anything else that's in the movie just because he's finally forced to see the ramifications of his decisions Mm -hmm. again it's a heightened version of it but at the same time like the impact and the meaning behind that are still there in a way that I think really works Uh, and it makes for one of the lesser graphic and that's very relative to Saw in general uh, it still makes it shows that if you have more meaning behind what's happening it can be more effective or it can be equally as effective as watching somebody get all their arms or head ripped off Mm -hmm.
1: no i i would agree and i think that was as annoying as that last kid was that got (laughs) killed yeah it was pretty badass of him going you know look at me you have to see you know if you're gonna kill me you have to look me in the eyes while it happens or whatever like I imagine he's had to do that in, you know, in a suit and tie in an office building multiple times, but he didn't actually see the, like, to your point, the ramifications of his decision. Um, So, you know, the weight of him doing that to one person, I imagine, again, for whatever little amount of conscience that he has, uh, it probably started thinking of, like, how many times have I actually done this? And, again, as we get to the ending of it, um, karma does find a a beautiful way of... (laughs) coming around and boomeranging here yeah. but um, yeah we, we won't jump ahead too fast. Here.
0: Well yeah I think that that's a great point because right there's a flashback early on where we see William in an office and he's denying this guy coverage that he needs to survive and it's some arbitrary he signed up for the wrong thing or he clicked the wrong box or whatever and essentially he's condemning this guy to a death sentence and the guy says that to him and William's like yeah you know my hands are tied so forcing him to relive moments that he has uh, forced upon other people multiple times throughout the course of the movie, you actually get to see a change in one of the protagonists for uh, a change, right? We mm-hmm. always talk about, and I don't necessarily think that like William is the, is a great, there's a great performance behind this character, but I think that he has a very strong character because we see real change come about and we see a character and a protagonist that, isn't going against their basic instincts in a way that we have complained about in the past, right? If people had just listened to Jigsaw, a majority of the time they could have survived. Whereas we have a character now who is actually going through real growth through very extreme means, but he's going through a certain amount of growth and realizing like the error of his ways. And he has fully accepted that. And so when we get to the ending, it makes for the perfect catalyst for a pulling the rugs out from under our feet. So, yeah, I think that that trap kind of just does a good job of further facilitating the sort of morality angle. But uh, we should definitely mention some of the like the twists in this movie because I felt that this Mm -hmm. one had a lot more relative twists to both the narrative, but also in terms of just like feeding our interest in like what's been happening behind the scenes in past films. And that's an element Mm -hmm. that I don't necessarily know that people that haven't been invested in these movies will care about. But I think that I appreciate them. And I'm sure you do too, in terms of, Hey man, we're six films in and we're still learning about the world of song. We're learning about what facilitated certain events that happened previously. They might not be the most groundbreaking uh, of developments, but I can appreciate that they go back and they fill in the blanks to events that happened previously to this film or potentially Mm -hmm. indicate what the direction we're going in. And I don't know, it's somebody that's going to keep watching these movies and, doesn't enjoy all of them, but still enjoys the franchise at large. I can appreciate those things. So I think that one of the biggest narrative developments was this idea that Jill, essentially John's ex-wife, has been working Mm -hmm. with Hoffman. And she essentially was left in her will from John when he died, the rules or rather the uh, parameters for the next game. And she is Mm -hmm. the one that through Hoffman essentially has been allowing this to happen. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that that's one of those things that they fill the blanks in with in a couple of flashbacks, right? This idea, John convinces her that, hey, my methodology works, which we're going to mention again, like the ridiculous nature that these movies go in. the idea that John, that Jigsaw is able to convince a doctor. The only way you can re- rehabilitate people is to have them survive a game, this uh, being faced with their own life and things like that, which is lunacy. But within the sort of like soap opery context of these movies,
1: it works to a certain degree, I would think. No, I, I would agree with you. I mean, listen, the, both of them are crazy to an extent, right? <laughs> um, but, well, to very much an extent. Um, but I think a large part of the, the lunacy that we see is derived from the fact that how they lost their son, right? Um, so, even as disgusted as we can be about their the the solution that they took from that or the the lesson that they learned <laughs> from that loss, um, I don't think I, I think everyone can understand grief and can empathize with that. So, even though it's such a gnarly, uh, it, it's such a gnarly twist. Mm-hmm it doesn't come off as something that's unplausible. Within right? the context like, of the world, yeah. Right, so like that, again, to your point of like, there are certain things that are ridiculous just in inherently in the Saw universe, but I do like schematically how they keep throwing out these things that, although narratively to an extent and storyline, timeline-wise, it might not necessarily make sense, the the character context does actually prove possible for some of these things to happen so yeah i would agree with you the the things that we see to, particularly in that case the ending scene i i don't want to jump too too much ahead here but um like how we see that go down mm-hmm. um there's just a lot of things that that happen in this movie that give credit to again both the writing and directors um, for for actually you know creating this in the way that they did.
0: Yeah, and I think I even can appreciate smaller moments that don't necessarily have a massive impact on things, but it does still flesh out the world of Sawmore and the the lore of Saw, which is like yeah. Amanda is actually responsible for uh, John Kramer, Jigsaw, and Jill losing their child. We learn that. She was essentially uh, Cecil's like girlfriend, I guess, or sort of they were an item of some sort. Yeah, heroin buddies. But in the direct, now I'm not sure if it was in your version because I watched the director's cut uh, on Blu-ray. I don't know if the version that's streaming is the same, but there's an added scene where she is telling Cecil like, yeah, you should rob them, you should rob them. And then she like starts groping him basically to like further spur him on. Um, It was one of those things where it just kind of shows That little moment shows that she, oh no, she literally had a hand in forcing him, or not forcing, rather, in convincing Cecil that he should go do this act, which then results in the death of Jigsaw's child and Jill's child. Um, And just tying her into the whole thing, it provides a certain amount of legitimacy to why she kills Lynn in Saw 3, right? Because Mm -hmm. then we learn that Hoffman learns about that. Hoffman then uses that information to blackmailing Amanda into doing what he wants, which is killing Lynn, which then basically seals her own fate. Um, I definitely appreciated that more than I appreciated, um, or rather more than it worked for me, um, the realization that uh, Jill is working with Hoffman. That I didn't really care about nearly as much as I thought. It was interesting to see how... Hoffman learning about Amanda's past and how basically Amanda would do anything to ensure that Jigsaw never learns that truth, that she was involved. So I think narratively speaking, that is more significant and it's a little detail. It's not a big part of the movie. It's probably a couple of minutes at most, but little things like that I can really appreciate. And I think fans of Saw and fans that have been there from the beginning will appreciate moments like that just as much.
1: No, very much so. And again, there's there's enough in this movie to please both the people that are into you know as as we i think we should get a couple brownie points for eliminating the term torture porn <laughs> yeah. out of our vocabulary for the past three three or so films so we need to address the uh the true
0: twist of the film which is that this is not william's game we assumed that william was the one who was playing a game obviously he had to go through these different tasks and kind of Find a new, uh, a new moral right, but also his family was at stake. Right, he's been wanting to see his family again, and we've been cutting in between a m- woman and a uh, teenager, essentially, that have been in this room and like the room that they're in. If he doesn't succeed, it will fill with acid, and then this also like a jigsaw tabloid person right. is also mm-hmm. in danger of being uh, sprayed with acid, basically. And we learn when he sees the family and the Jigsaw reporter, he runs to the reporter and we're like, well, wait a sec, he doesn't care about his family? And then we learn that it's not his family. We learn that the family that's there is actually of the person who he denied coverage initially in that flashback earlier in the film and that his life is now in their hands. Mm -hmm. Did you see that coming? No, I did not.
1: No. I I loved the fact that it keeps the way that the the cinematography is set up to where the flashes are immediate from one to another, from William to the that family, or from them talking back to William. It's not typically going from them to um, to Hoffman or Jigsaw talking. You know what I mean? So it gives again. It can com- continues to reinforce this idea that that's his family. But to your point, we actually never. Uh, we never have a flashback of him with his family. So even when that threat is imposed on him, we can not actually confirm that it is what we're seeing again, again, reinforcing this narrative that we don't actually understand what we're seeing until the very end, essentially, if that.
0: Yeah. And I, and I love that quandary, right? This idea where it's like, can the people who saw a loved one perish at the hands of this man who was very careless with the life of their loved one, are they able in and of themselves to find a new, uh, find forgiveness, mm-hmm. right? This idea, are they able to forgive him? And we see that the wife gets to the point where she's like crying and she says how much she hates him and how he ruined their life, mm-hmm. but she's not able to pull. And there's like a lever that says whether he can live or die. She's not able to pull a lever, right? She's overcome and she says, I can't do it which is a very powerful moment, I think, In and I don't know, I would say that about Saw very often, like having a powerful or legitimately genuine moment, but you can actually feel kind of like her pain and her sorrow in a lot of ways, and you're like, oh, well, William is about to be rewarded for finding a new sense of morality and to really grow as a person and as a character, and then the camera pans to her son, who is filled with rage, and I don't know if that has something to do with being a young male, but as a as a uh, now older male, I can say like, yeah, you would fly off the handles and want revenge more than likely. If the person that killed your father is in front of you, it might be hard to really see the growth that he has had if you yourself are a young person who hasn't had much growth yourself to begin with. Um, So then of course, the rug being pulled out from under our feet is, is that after William has this growth, the kid pulls the die switch and essentially this sort of it's like a bed frame of syringes falls from the ceiling and impales William. But then, uh, to add insult to injury, it's not just syringes, but they're syringes filled with acid that pump in full acid to the point where like he starts melting from the inside and then he basically gets cut in half from the acid, Mm -hmm. which I don't know how that would work, but it was very brutal and gruesome. And that was one of those moments that you're like, yeah, that's the mean spirited nature of this series. And we've actually faulted previous films for being mean-spirited to the degree where it's gleefully so. But I found that Saw Six it had a real payoff because we're so, I felt invested in William to a certain degree, right? You're seeing for the first time this person that's not looking to fuck over the other victims. If anything, they are forced into this impossible situation and they're forced to grow. They're forced to make the hard choices and to see the error of their ways. And then to have all of that hard work not pay off in anything but his death yeah it's mean-spirited and it's nasty as hell but i find that it is satisfyingly so in that it kind of shows this person that had found growth now all of a sudden it's like no you're still gonna suffer because <laughs> this is saw at the end of the day and maybe that sounds a little twisted and a little demented but i would rather be invested in this person and have that happen mm-hmm. than have them just be a nobody which i feel like a lot of the victims of the past two films have
1: been. Yeah, no i would i mean this is so much better than the the fifth iteration of this franchise, right? Mm-hmm. Um i personally think that that death scene with uh with Williams character probably will go down as maybe not top 3 death in the series but top 5 i would imagine for sure just the again to your point of you think that maybe we have like really seen somebody make a transformation, whatever, the 80 minutes that we've seen up to this point, right? To to however much he can transform. And then again, rightfully so, to your point, you see the rage of the sun and all of us, I think, could have that instinct of, yeah, no, fuck all that bullshit. And yeah, yeah, dude, you're gonna (laughs) suffer the way that we've suffered. And Mm -hmm. yeah, he does, and again, you it pans to both the the mom and the son occasionally while he's screaming and i don't know what it was but like the son didn't seem as upset like obviously the mother is horrified the son seemed weirdly like kind of entertained by it so again i don't right. know what that necessarily <laughs> meant outside of just that character maybe the directorial kind of uh Uh, suggestions to that effect um what did you think of kind of now where this movie is going and and the trajectory to 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 where you think it goes next
0: so i'm actually really anticipating saw 3d just because it's going to be the wrap-up or maybe the concluding chapter to the last four films whereas saw one through three were very much their own self-contained things and they've kind of added on to that from my understanding, at least like four through Saw 3D or Saw the final chapter, which of course is, as is uh, the case with horror films, if they say it's the final chapter, it's for sure not the final <laughs> chapter. Um It's one of those things though where I'm excited to see how they're able to really tie up the ramifications from the end of Saw 6 into that film, even if I have heard, and again, this is, I need to leave my preconceived notions at the door, but. I have heard that this is the weakest Saw film in the franchise so far. Um, That being said, I'm interested to see what happens with Hoffman, right? Because at the end of Saw 6, he's put into one of the bear traps that Amanda was put in by Jill. And essentially this is his test. And he survives by the skin of his jawline, which gets ripped to shreds from, he basically like before the jaws snap open, he shoves his face through metal bars on a window that stops it from snapping all the way, but it snaps partially. So he gets like part of his jaw ripped off. So he's fucked up, but he still lives. So I'm interested to see if he's going to get his in terms of the next film, like is his fate gonna be sealed finally? What does that mean for Jill now that this person she tried to kill is still alive? Um, So those elements I'm interested to see, but at the same time, I'm worried about Saw 3D. I'm not going to lie. Granted, Saw 6 was perceived to be a failure, critically speaking, in terms of, well, critically end of the box office, I guess. This was supposedly the worst performing Saw movie or the lowest grossing Saw film because it only, only, and that's in big air quotes, it only made $68 million. <laughs> only. Which is an insane thing to say when you're talking about movies, but when you're comparing it to other sequels that had made at least a uh, yeah, that this really kind of like pisses me off because this is so much better than Saw 4 and 5. Yeah. And I would go so as far to say is this is in my top three Saw movies, I think. Just because, and we don't have to get into the rankings right now. I think we'll do that probably at the very end once we see Spiral and everything. Right. But at the same time, this I feel is such a strong sequel because it feels so fresh compared to all the, the last two films that we've seen at least. And I think that it really capitalizes on the core identity of what Saw is and what the first film was a setup for. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm nervous about Saw 3D and Saw the Final Chapter, uh, which apparently they were supposed to make it into two films. But again, Saw 6 performed so poorly that they decided, well, we're going to shove that into one film. And I guess this movie was supposed to be in 3D, but they only said it like, I don't know, a week before this was going to start filming. And then they were like, well, actually you're not going to just like tell us this is going to be uh, in 3d right. a week before filming. Right. Cause that's obviously a huge inconvenience. So I'm kind of worried that they had rushed and compressed what was supposed to be two films into one and then sort of shoehorning in the 3d. I don't know how you feel about 3d. I'm not a fan of it. So I'm curious how that's going to play watching it at home with no 3d. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I, yeah i i think you hit all of my if i remember this movie correctly which from the trailer um it brought back very vivid uh, memories of uh just pure horror and not at the actual like narrative of the movie but more so the movie of itself um this is, this is. I think you're right. I think the key to what we're gonna see happen the next movie is is the gore and all that, the torture porn aspect of Saw enough to overcome the any potential like writing discrepancies. I think that's where the rubber meets <laughs> the road, so to speak. And um, you know, I, I guess we'll we'll find out for ourselves here in the the, the next couple of days.
0: Yeah. But uh, as always, man, it's a pleasure chatting uh, Saw and horror with you. And I was pleasantly surprised by this movie. Uh, And I guess we'll talk about it again when we get down to the rankings and things like that. But, you know, this was the rare instance. And I think that there have been other horror franchises that, of course, have down in the sort of back end of their uh, run, as it were, have definitely had strong films. But to go from four and five, which I felt were very lacking in terms of Saw to going to this, which I think is one of the strongest. I mean, this has probably been, this has been a pretty, uh, a pretty strong indication that like, you can't ever kind of close the book on any franchise, even if for what it's worth, maybe the next three films after this, I really don't enjoy kind of like four and five Mm -hmm. at the very least. I think this proves that you really can't count a series out until it's actually finished because you, all you need is a new kind of like fresh face or fresh blood to come in and be like, well, actually, I'm going to use my knowledge of the series and implement something that is both enjoyable for fans of the franchise, but also people that are coming to this fresh. I mean, this is one of those films I feel like, yeah, you wouldn't get it out, you wouldn't get much out of it other than like the backstory stuff if you hadn't been an avid fan of Saw. But at the same time, I think this is entertaining enough and it is at least self contained enough, largely
1: that you could enjoy it. And they'd be like, well, maybe I'll go check out some of these other sequels. No, no, I would, I would totally agree with you on that. And, um, I think again, you know, for whatever, uh, gripes or transgressions that we might have about saw, um, I think overall, if you compare these movies, you know, six, seven, eight, nine to any others, like you had said, um, saw probably comes out on top in most scenarios. So um, I'm definitely looking forward to to seeing kind of the, the apex of this movie and how it holds up with everything.
0: But until next time when we chat Saw 3D, aka Saw the Final Chapter, I'll see you soon. Take it easy, man. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Daily Horror Habit on your preferred streaming service and follow the show on Instagram at Daily Horror Habit and on Twitter at Daily Horror Pod for episode updates. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you guys next time.